Well, good morning. Glad all of you are here. I hope you're excited for worship. I'm, I'm excited to be in the, the text that we're going to be in. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. We're going to spend a good bit of time in there this morning. I, I do want you to know you're only going to get half of what we want to talk about in this passage in the sermon. So I'm really just, I'm going to dangle the carrot and say we really want you guys to hang around for class because we're going to kind of dig a little deeper and look at some some different people. But this is just an amazing passage, and, and I really love it. It is, it is just filled with emotion, and there's a lot of things that are going to be going on, and I really want us to focus on just a, a couple of people. But but before we do that, I, I want to say I appreciate uh, what Lynn shared in his prayer this morning. I don't I love thinking about how we think about God. Um, the big word uh, for that is theology, the, the study of God and, and how we see Him. And pointed out something that I thought was so interesting. He says, you know, God, you are so mighty that we fear you. And you're so awesome that we want to worship you, but you're so loving that we just want to come to you. And I think that's really important as we think about this morning because Mark 14 is really going to beg the question, okay, this is Jesus, and what do you make of him? Who do you think he really is, and then how do you respond to that? Because that's the questions that the Gospels continue to ask over and over again is, who is this guy? In fact, his disciples on several different occasions, say, who is this man? How is it that he does what he does? And then ultimately, as we talked about last week, kind of this this hermeneutical approach, like, what does that mean for us? And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to spend a few minutes looking at this, this beautiful passage about honor and about love and about adoration. From, from one individual. Remember, we're going to talk about two people today, but, but there's this one individual I really want to spotlight. And that is like, that is contrasted, it's, it's juxtaposed with all these other people around Jesus. The, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and quite frankly, even some of the apostles. And the way they handle the situation, the way they view this particular individual, and how they're going to respond. And it's really kind of disheartening. Because other than this, this one person, that remember we're going to be talking about two, but this one person, beside what this person does, we have these people who should have acted differently, but didn't. Instead, they're, they're arrogant. Some of them are apathetic. Quite a few of them are indignant. And some of them are even quite condemning. Not, not only of this one person, but, but also of Jesus. But, but so much is going on. I don't want to focus on anybody else than the two that we're going to talk about this morning. This, this one individual, we're going to read about it in just a second. And, and then there's one more. Because I don't want to get lost. I want us to be very careful 
to focus in on what's going on. Because if, if we try to get too much going on, we're going to do what the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the apostles did. What they really just did is they just lost focus. They, they missed what was really going on. And so I don't want that to happen. And so you're getting part A of this. Just know ahead of time. Part B, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story is going to come in class. And I really want you to be here for that because we have a discussion. There's some crazy things that we need to talk about. But that's in class. You're going to have to show up for that one. By the way, I do want you to know, Mark 14, this is found in all four Gospels. And there's a little asterisk. There's a little caveat. And again, we're going to take a deep dive in class about this. But there's some weird things going on with the, the different accounts of, of what's about to take place. I'll go ahead and tell you, Jesus is going to be anointed. And Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they all share a story of an anointing of Jesus. But there are some differences, just enough differences, that some Bible scholars, some really smart people say, there's not really just one different anointing. There's several different ones. Now, I'm not that smart, so I disagree with them. But, but you can disagree with me, too. And again, we're going to talk about that in class. But just know, even though we're going to be in Mark 14, I'm going to jump around just a little bit because I want to grab little bit bits about this one of two different people that we are going to talk about this morning. So, enough about that. Let's just... Let's dive into the text. Okay, there's a lot going on, not just within this text, but within this room, and within your minds, and within your lives. And just like the Pharisees, and the apostles, and the religious leaders, it's easy for you to lose focus. And quite frankly, that's what Satan is planning to do right now. So my prayer for you is that you just allow the Holy Spirit to just work in and through this text so that we all can grow and learn and love God more through this. And so I'm just going to ask for just a moment of you just to clear your mind and then we're going to enter into this passage of Mark 14 and we'll start in verse 1. But just for a moment, let's prepare our hearts and our minds for this passage. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly 
Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare it for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What a, a powerful passage. And, and we're going to borrow some, some different phrases from some of the other Gospels. But basically what we have here is now Jesus has come into Bethany. Okay. Does anybody know who also lives in Bethany? Okay. A, a, a guy named Lazarus. You remember him? In fact, John 11 is going to talk about him dying, and he's going to have a couple of sisters. We, do we remember their names? Mary and Martha. What else do we know about Mary and Martha? There's another story about them. Do you remember? What was that story about? Somebody help me out. Refresh my memory. Jesus was at their house. Mary was the slacker. Do you remember that story? Jesus was there. He's at the home of Mary and Martha. Martha's doing all the work. Mary's sitting around. Martha gets fed up. She goes to Jesus and says, Hey, tell my sister to get up and start working. Like, you, got, you can't do this. And Jesus is going to kind of lovingly say, Hey, you know what? She's, she's chosen what's best. And that will not be taken from her. We don't have enough time, but sometime I'd love for you to go back on your own and look at, at John 11. Just a fantastic story. We, we get to, you know, Jesus wept, John 11:35. In case you've forgotten that, that's the one verse that everybody in here in this room has memorized. John 11:35. Jesus wept. You've got it. Okay, you can check that off your list of things to do this morning. You've memorized a verse. But before that happens, before Jesus cries, remember, we're going to have, at the very beginning, Jesus shows up, and Martha's going to go out, right? But Mary's going to hang back. She's not really sure. She's really upset, and both of them are going to say, you know what, Jesus, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And there's a lot of confusion, especially for the, the sisters, because they don't fully get what the resurrection really means. And they kind of believe, and they're not sure they believe, they want to believe, and then Jesus is going to have that very famous saying, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, resurrection is going to have a brand new meaning. Now here's where it gets a little confusing. John, without a doubt, says the woman there that's being anointed by Jesus, I mean that is anointing Jesus in his gospel, is Mary. And goes so far to say this is the Mary whom was uh, Jesus raised uh, her brother from the dead. That you go back and look in, in John chapter 11, it says that. Again, Mary's name is going to be used in John's gospel uh, chapter 12 when he talks about what Mary is going to do. So, just for the sake of argument, 
And we can, we can, and we will argue this. We'll di- we'll discuss this, okay, in class. I want you to have an opportunity to share. But for now, I just want us to assume that this Mary, John, is the same one in Mark, and and it's just one person, okay. And so I want to share a few more tidbits because remember, there's only two people I really want us to focus in on this morning. And this first one is the one we're going to call Mary, Mary of Bethany. Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Now, there's some other things that we can glean from this passage. If you look throughout, um, we see in Luke chapter 7, it doesn't say that it's Mary, but it does say it's a woman in the town who lived a sinful life. Now, how does Luke know this? How do you determine that a person lives a sinful life? I mean, you go to Romans and Paul says, well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but Luke goes out of his way and even several of the people who we're not going to look at until class, they're going to say, hey, she's a sinful woman. And not only call down judgment upon her, but ultimately Jesus is guilty by association. Right? Because they say, not only is she a sinful woman, if Jesus knew who she was, he would stay away from her. So now they're saying, she's a bad woman, we know to stay away from her, but Jesus is not smart enough to figure it out, so he's just as bad as she is. And everybody's going to, I can't go there yet. That's for class, you guys stop it. Quit trying, I'm focusing on two people and this is one of them. I want to focus on this woman and her response. Okay, so what do we really know? We know that she comes in. Luke says that she's a sinful woman. John says that she's Mary, the the sister of Lazarus. What we do know is that she comes in and she's holding this bottle of perfume. So let's get a little bit of the context, kind of help out a little bit. This is perfume that that you got uh, put on this morning in the little clear thing and you had the little spray that came out. It was nothing like that at all. It didn't have the little atomizer on it. Uh, it would have been uh, in this jar. And, and what kind of, um, what was this jar made of? Does anybody remember? Alabaster, right? And so if you go back and look, uh, archaeologists will tell you that the alabaster jar, that was, that was reserved for just the best perfumes. And, and Mark says that this is a very expensive jar of perfume. In other places, it says, well, Mark actually is the one that says that it was a year's wages, about 300 denarii. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine working for 300 days and using all of the proceeds, all the profits, and buying one jar of perfume? It wouldn't have been a big one. It would have been really small. Now, there's a way that you could have just dabbled a little out, especially for anointing, but she doesn't do that. What does she do? She, she, she breaks it off. It would have um, I had this real thin neck, and, and snapping it off would have meant that, that one, you, it would have allowed you to pour it out, but two, it would have made it, rendered it useless then. It would have gone bad after that. And so she wasn't willing to give just a little bit, 
She wanted to give it all. Now again, Mark doesn't tell us the whole story, but according to Luke, if this is the same one, not only does she pour this perfume, but she lays at the feet of Jesus, and what does she do? With what? She weeps. She weeps at the feet of Jesus. She's one of two people that we're going to talk about today, but, but I want to ask you this. Have you ever had a time when you were so overcome with, with being near someone that you just sat next to them and wept? I think some of you parents can remember the moment when you, you held your children just brought on that flood of emotion, just just weeping. Maybe for those of you who, who were in a, a time of war when you had a, a child or a, a spouse go off to war and when they came back, you just wanted to sit there and just hold on and weep and never let go of them. So I guess the question we have to ask is, why would she do this? What would cause her to do this? Why would she waste so much money? And I want to use the word waste because that's what the apostle says. She wasted that money. Why would she waste that money? Why would, why would she sit there and, and, and I, I, I don't want to be sacrilegious. I do want to recognize that Jesus was a man and he was a man who, who lived in the first century. They didn't have the hygiene that we had. They didn't have the roads that we had. They didn't have the, the shoes and the socks that we had. They didn't have the detergents that we had. And so let's be completely honest. When she's laying at the feet of this, this Jewish carpenter who spends most of his days walking up and down dusty roads, it's not like he, he, he would have smelled wonderful. Certainly his feet would have smelled of dirt and sweat of human odors just surely that had to be so difficult it's not like she's pinching her nose it's not like she's turning her head she weeps and as the tears are falling off her face they land on his feet now again we've talked about this a lot but but their tables weren't like our tables. They didn't sit in chairs. They reclined. Okay, they would have reclined. I always have to remember they would have reclined on their left elbow. And their, they, kind of, they kind of would have been at a diagonal to the table itself. They always ate with the right hand, remember. We won't talk about why. But they always ate with the right hand. They, they rested on their left elbow. And there she would have been. So she would have kind of had to been squeezed in. And here's another thing we have to know. Is that... That she didn't have a place at the table. She hadn't been invited. Simon was there. He was the one who had invited Jesus there, this, this Pharisee. But, but she wasn't invited. Now, it wasn't against customs for, for the poor to be there and, and the ones who weren't deserving of a seat at the table. But there she is at his feet and she's weeping. She's so overwhelmed. 
because she adores this man. And she, she loves this man. And she knows how her life is changed because of him. Now, we could go off on a tangent a little bit that, that some suggest that people knew she was a sinful woman because she was a, a, a woman of the night. And that perhaps that, that this perfume at, at one point would have been used for her to, to woo men in in order for, uh, for her to, to make a living. We, that's what some suggest from other texts. I don't know that I want to go quite that far, but, but whatever happens, she breaks open that perfume and says, I, I don't need that for anything else. What I want it for is for the feet of Jesus and for his head. Now this is very symbolic and for any of the Jews during that time, that would have meant a whole lot. Remember, we, we backpedal a few days, and Jesus was coming in. Remember, he, he, was, he was riding in on the donkey. And people were laying down palms and their coats. And he was walking across that. And you remember, they, said, they sang what? Hosanna. Hosanna is reserved for the king. And so she gets something that nobody else gets. He's a king. He's come into town. But what should a king have but he hasn't gotten yet? An anointing. Jesus has yet to be anointed. They're screaming out king. But nobody else was willing to bring the perfume. And she does. And there's a really love about this. One is that Jesus says she did what she could. It was what she could do. Jesus is not concerned about how much that that perfume is worth. When everybody else was upset about it. He doesn't care about the money. In the same way, he didn't care about the, the woman, the, the widow who had no money left. And she put in all that she had. Everybody else would have said, ah, that's not worth anything. Jesus doesn't care about the dollar signs. He says, I just, I just want your heart. And what I especially love about this passage is in John chapter 12, she breaks open the jar, she's weeping, she's drying his feet with her hair, and, and, and John says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I just thought what she did just filled the entire room. I love this story. I love this story because she didn't care about anybody else. She didn't care that there were religious leaders. She didn't care that there were followers of Jesus who were harshly rebuking her. She just says, this is who I am and this is what I have. 
And Jesus, this is who you are. And so this is how I'm going to respond. There's two people I want to talk about this morning, and she's one of them. I think you probably know who the other one is, don't you? I know the answer in in church should always be Jesus. But this morning it's not. There's a lot of things that could have kept you from being here this morning. And there are a lot of things that are going on in your life right now and in your mind right now that make it so easy to get distracted. There's life and there's family and there's finances and there's work and there's politics and there's where are we going to eat after we leave this place. We have all these things going on, and it's so easy to lose focus. But this morning, the second person I want to talk about is is you. Not the person beside you or across the room from you. Not your parent who forced you to show up. Or your teenager that you're rolling your eyes at right now thinking about what they did this morning. Just you. Jesus is here. He is reclined at the table. And he's just asking, who am I really to you? How much much do I really mean? Would you rather argue over how the money gets spent? Are you upset about the, the length of the sermon or the choice of the songs or why the pews still haven't been fixed? But, but maybe this right here is just an opportunity To be in awe of Jesus. I love so much that Jesus stands up for her. And he said, God, she did what she could. And so I don't know what this week is going to look like for you. I don't know what each morning is going to bring as you open your eyes. But I just want to ask you this week to just ask yourself, who is Jesus? And what does that really mean for me? And if I could be just in his presence for a moment, how would I respond? If your response to his presence is shame, I want you to know that you have a misunderstanding of who God is. Jesus came to take away your shame and your sin and instead to give us joy and hope and life. So this morning, I just want to ask you, who is Jesus 
And what would it take for me to find myself at his feet, weeping with joy and adoration and praise? Whatever that takes, I want to ask you to consider and join this morning as we stand and sing.